tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 119. I think we've all felt it at one time or another, a little distance in our heart, a dryness in our spirit. Perhaps we're walking through a difficult time and we're just feeling overwhelmed by doubt and fear. I'm so glad that God meets us where we are. Rather than demanding that we change our hearts and come to Him, He comes to us and He does what only He can do. Because as today's guest, Susie Larson, reminds us, God is closer than your next breath. One of my favorite guests here in the living room is Susie Larson, and she's here with us with her new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. So good to be back, Joanna. Thanks for having me. I love you too. Oh my goodness. Well, I've just um, been thumbing through this book and getting acquainted with it and going, oh my goodness, there's so much rich, rich food. The top of the book says, where is God when you need Him most? And you know, I, I think whether we're seasoned Christians, brand new to the faith, um, I think there all of us have those seasons where we wonder, Lord, are you really there? Can you talk to us about what what led up to this book and why this message? Some of your listeners might know a little bit of my backstory, but as a child, uh, raised in a denomination where I knew God was real, but I really didn't know Jesus was accessible. I mean, I, I had a sense of God's presence, but I also had a sense of the enemy's presence. I had some couple of significant traumatic events as a child at the hands of teenage boys, and uh, that really disrupted my sense of safety and belonging. And I had tons of fear and a tons of kind of bracing for impact and that kind of thing. And when I came to Christ as a young teenager, again, I sensed his presence. And at that point, I knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And mm. the second trauma that happened was when I was 10 years old. And I first trauma was I was sexually assaulted at nine years old with at the hands of some teenage boys. The second trauma was, and that one I didn't tell anybody about because my dad was a public figure. He was the mayor of our city and I didn't want to bring trouble on our family. So I just stuffed that into the basement of my soul. And you can't bury things when they're not, you know, put to rest. And it really wreaked havoc in my body and in my heart and in my perspective. Then at 10 years old, walking home from school, I was jumped by a group of boys and beat badly. And that, um, of course, my family knew about because I came home. I mean, they punched me, kicked me, pulled fistfuls of hair. You know, I was curled in a ball crying and they were laughing as they were just pummeling me for sport. And when I got up from that beating, I heard in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And that was the enemy. It wasn't audible, but I, as a young child, knew that I had a target on my back. And, uh, you know, I often say that the enemy sees your potential long before you ever do. And, and his threat against you is always mm -hmm. connected to your threat to him. You know, you look at the ways he, he pummels you, bullies you, threatens you, taunts you, harasses you. It's because in those very places, if you get a hold of who you are, you'll be a massive threat to him. I just think that's important to know. But in those early years of my Christianity, as I, you know, venture into young adulthood, married a wonderful man and had babies young and high-risk pregnancies. And as you know, um, during our third pregnancy, was on bed rest for six months, and my one day up was unknowingly bit by the deer tick and contracted Lyme disease, and it took a year to find that out. So again, I heard in my ear, once, you know, it's like, what are the chances my one day off of bed rest that a tick will unknowingly latch on 
and destroy my life, really destroy my health. And God has redeemed my life. And so the enemy didn't have the last say. Um, I still deal with daily symptoms from 30 years ago. However, the healing and the redemption that I've experienced, you cannot describe. But I will say back then, to get that news, to have uh, six months of bed rest, three months of which I'm having neurological fireworks. Then I deliver my third son, and then my health plummets. While my friends had health and they had wealth, and I was still new enough in my faith, I, I didn't know if I chased God away or if he changed his mind about me. I didn't have a strong enough foundation of his character and of his heart for me. As I often say, I knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And in that journey of army crawling through such really horrific times, there were times God broke through and he he spoke in such a thundering way. I knew it was him. And Joanna, if you look in scripture, the times when the manifest presence broke through, almost always he's dealing with issues of lordship, of, mm-hmm. of uh, identity, of an upgrade in your faith, of a, of a reminder of his promises or something where he's breaking through going, look up, remember who I am, follow me on my terms, not yours. And those were the kind of the things that happened in those early years that really shaped the way I walked with God. But in those early years, also in the times in between when it was just battle and no sense of presence, I would also panic because I would think, did I hear that right? Did God change his mind about me? And so as I've matured in the faith and learned so much about God's character that you don't always have to feel God to know that he's right with you, my hope is that this book is a healing balm to hearts that can move us out of bracing for impact when we're in those seasons where nothing feels true about his promises, move from bracing for impact to actually anticipating his goodness because he's the same God. In the silent seasons and in the seasons when he's speaking, he's the same God. He's a good God. His promises are true and we're tethered to a really good God. So how do you steward the times when he breaks through and how do you steward the seasons when it seems all of heaven is silent. Mm, wow. That is so powerful. I love how you've kind of structured the book and just uh, you start with just characteristics of God, that how God walks through walls, how God draws near, how God is good, how God is awesome, how He lavishes grace, how He offers life, how He sometimes seems silent, how He matures us, how He calls us, how He remembers, all, all of these different things. And then you have this really interactive section of going to the Word, encouraging us to go to the Word, but then pondering His presence. And that's just the theme, each chapter, ponder His presence. And you give us little prompts for that. Why is it so important? Isn't it just enough to know know about Him? I mean, we've given Him our life, we've, we've received salvation, and we're doing our best to live holy lives. Why do we need to ponder His presence? You know, I've heard even people say that it's not even biblical to ask for more of his presence, and I I fully disagree. I I think that uh, no matter how long you've walked with him, it's like you hold a Dixie cup and the ocean remains. I mean, I want you to imagine going to the ocean and you got your son back in the hotel and you bring back a Dixie cup and you said, you want to see the ocean? Here it is. This is the ocean. I'm not lying. This is the ocean. And your son's Mm -hmm. like, well... I want more of the ocean. <laughs> I yeah. want to see the underwater life. I want to see, you know, the way the waves crash and I want to see what it looks like when the sun sets on that ocean. And that's the ocean. I mean, he is creator God. And so I feel like to say that it's unbiblical to ask for more of his presence is an apathetic way to throw up your hands as if to say he doesn't matter. Because, mm-hmm. you know, and some say too about, you know, they just, they look at omnipresence, but not manifest presence. But there's plenty in scripture about the proximity of God that he draws 
near to the brokenhearted. He is near to those who are crushed in spirit, near to the humble. He distances himself from the proud. He's near to those who call on him and who honor and revere him. Those speak of his movement, right? And then all you got to do is look at stories from scripture. There are times when the manifest presence breaks through and it's an important part of the story. But I also explored in scripture that when Jesus moved, some begged him to stay and some begged him to leave. So why Mm. such a different response? And we've got a decision to make about when the presence of God moves in. So go back to your original question, why does it matter? Because if we don't understand that the one who put the stars in place, the one who merely, you know, spoke and the heavens came to be, at at the blast of his breath, the bottom of the ocean can be seen. This God of ours, who delights in every detail of your life. He knows about every hair on your head. He knows about your child with identity issues and the insecurities in your heart that nobody would ever guess are happening in your heart. Every detail he delights in. And if you don't think that his presence matters or that an involvement matters, you will think there's more on your shoulders than on his. And so when I've heard leaders say, God doesn't care where you park or where you work, just do those things as unto him. Again, I respectfully, humbly disagree. That doesn't at all jive with the fact that he delights in every detail of our lives, that he sings songs over us, and that the thoughts that he has, every thought he has towards you, Joanna, is holy, and you can't, they outnumber the grains of sand. He thinks about you so much, you can't count all the thoughts. And, And I wasn't a perfect mom, but I was an engaged mom. My boys are grown now, but I can tell you honestly, there was never once, never once that my boys asked me, can I go to the park or go to Tommy's house that I said, I don't care. I never once said, I don't care because Mm. I care. I want to know where they are. I want to know what they're doing and the father, how much more cares. So I think, you know, as you get aware of his presence, you walk in his presence as you live here on earth, Psalm 116, 9, you start to become aware and you start to practice his presence. And when you don't sense him, then you dare to ask yourself some questions. And I address the silent seasons. They're not always our fault. They're not always about choices we've made, but sometimes they are. So it's good to start with us and search our hearts to see, are we overcommitted? Are we too busy? We say God's not speaking, but maybe we're not listening. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's a duplicit nature in our hearts where we're harboring sin or usurping authority, picking apart our pastor. And you just need to know... uh, God is not to be trifled with. Sin still matters. And I believe there's a great outpouring coming. It's why I have a big wave behind me. It's God gave me this picture during a prayer time a few years ago that an outpouring is coming. And I found the picture on Etsy. So I'm like, you'll do. <laughs> but I, I believe a great cleansing is coming and is mm-hmm. is here, is coming to the house of God. And if we think we can act one way and and you know, speak one way and live another, we've got another thing coming because the holiness of God really matters. But I'm telling you, when you're not hiding anything from him, because you can't anyway, uh, but when you're walking in true reverence and honor before him, his presence is your good. He literally treats his children differently. There's a distinction between the way he treats those who fear him and love him and honor him and those who thumb their noses at him. That is so good. That is so good. Well, I don't I don't know about you, but I think I've had that same experience where people have, you know, when I've talked about God wanting us, like being lonely for relationship with us, they felt like I was diminishing God's holiness and bigness. And and yet to to settle for one without the other. He's this both and God. He is holy and he is awesome. And we need to have a, a righteous, holy fear that reverences him. 
But to miss the fact that He is as present, closer than our next breath, I think it's to miss relationship. And so we end up settling for religion. Oh, 100%. I did my my live radio show, and I read an excerpt from there talking about how do you hold kind of in that tension, His holiness and His awesomeness, and you come bumbling into His presence with a runny nose because you've been crying all day. But that's the reality. That's yeah. He wants us as we are. He takes us as we, we are. He wants us to pray about everything, to call on Him in all ways, in all things. And, you know, you think about, I've been very fascinated lately uh, about why the Israelites— the first generation never made it to the promised land and then why they were exiled to Babylon. I'm like, I want to know what they did, what they did wrong, because I feel like we're sort of exiled right now. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't want to make the same mistakes. And when, when people would diminish you for saying that God wants a relationship, they haven't read the Old Testament because yes. God has feelings. I mean, he has strong feelings. They, the Israelites broke his heart yes. when they stopped listening to his voice. In fact, it said that was their first sin is when they stopped listening to him. You can only listen to one voice at a time. So I want you to imagine as soon as you turn away to listen to other voices, your heart starts to harden. Mm. And, and you can only listen to one voice at a time. They also stop seeking his way. They stop seeking his approval and his blessing. In other words, he wants us to involve him in our lives. And one that hit me so hard, I've been just thinking so much about this, where, you know, the Israelites were captive in Egypt under backbreaking slave labor so unjust, and it was brutal. I mean, the work that they had to do, I'm sure the food that they barely got, they took beatings all the time, so they cried out to God. And I'm sure they grumbled and complained to God, too. They clearly did, because that was in their DNA. But God, their cry reached God's ears. He mobilizes Moses to come as their deliverer. He answers their prayer by sending them Moses. When it was a time for their emancipation, let's consider how God set them up for success. The Bible says that they were loaded down with the riches of Egypt. So their enemy suddenly dumps their riches onto their, you know, the people they enslaved. I mean, how how does that happen? The Bible also says there was not a feeble one among them. There's no way that that's possible unless they were healed, because you know some had parasites, plantar fasciitis, torn ACLs, herniated discs. I'm a former fitness person. I know in my knower there were decrepit bodies from, you don't experience that kind of trauma for that long to your body without having some consequence. And so I really believe that when the angel of death was passing through the land, life was passing through the people who were under the blood. I I just believe that because it doesn't make any other sense that there was not a feeble one among them. So here they have the riches of their enemy. They've got their bodies healed. And then they see the waters part. They see the pillar of cloud by day, the fire at night. I mean, they, think about the miracles that they saw. But in that short little time that they got had to wait when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, they suddenly become grumblers and complainers. And they say, we don't know what's become of this fellow Moses. Like they diminish the God-given leader. I mean, really, the disrespect is really unbelievable. But then they go to build idols. They did not remember the miracles of God. And what you jump ahead to, to Hebrews, it says the promise did not benefit them because it wasn't met by faith. So I want you to think about this. Their cry reached God's ears. 
He did something about it. They were grumbling and complaining, grumbling and complaining. And in the Psalms, it says they refused to enter the promised land. They refused. They refused because they refused to believe there was a promise written over their lives. So what did they do? They stayed in their tents and grumbled and refused to obey the Lord. And so I think when people say, "There's, I wish there was something I could do. There's nothing I can do in these like silent seasons. There's always something you can do. You can strengthen your faith. You can use those times to remind yourself what is true about God. Because you think of, the, God shook the earth, basically, to set these people free. But when the promise finally came, think about it. It didn't benefit them because it wasn't met by faith. They were complaining, com- you know, praying, grumbling, doing all their things, and picking apart their leaders. So they never dealt with their hearts. And then they blame God for their troubles. And I think it's just so important in, as we walk with God to let Him deal with our hearts. So if He allows us to go through a trial or a silent season— there's, there's what he allows, he redeems, but his presence mm. is always with us. So even in a silent season, there are things you can do. You can remember his promises. You can rehearse his goodness. And if you were to peel back the sky and see Jesus in the middle of your silent season, you know what you would see? You would see the Father God singing over you with affection that would make your knees buckle. You would see him pointing to warring angels and sending them on assignment on your behalf because of prayers you prayed some time ago. You would see so much activity in the heavenly realm on your behalf. You would never have an insecure day mm-hmm. in your life. This is why we practice his presence, and it's why we remember his character, and we deal with our hearts. And it's not a transactional relationship where he's only there and about what we want, right? It's like that that's not a, a reverent, beautiful, intimate friendship relationship. We're in this together, and as we deal with our hearts, our capacity for him increases more and more. And then you realize, man, his presence is my good, even when I can't feel him. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. You know, I've been thinking a lot about Moses and the children of Israel as well. You know, and it says in in Psalms that that Israel knew his works, but Moses knew his ways. The only way we really get to know his ways is his presence and cultivating that. And I want us to go there because I how do we cultivate his presence? But but before we do, my husband preached a powerful sermon on Moses, you know, and that whole thing where God is so frustrated with the grumbling and the complaining, that he says, listen, listen, I'm going to keep my promises to you. I'm going to give you everything I said I would, but I'm not going with you. And Moses, you know, famously said, unless you go with us, do not send us. And I loved how John just boiled it down. He said, Moses wanted God's presence more than his promises. And Mm. I'm wondering if that isn't where everything gets really all twisted around inside, and because we're not seeing the promises, and because we're not seeing His works on our behalf, then we somehow think that we've lost His presence rather than understanding. No, He wants to be there with us. So how do we do that? I think of my friend who's just gone through so much, and it just feels like she she just barely gets up and something else hits. And um, she's come back to her faith, but she wonders, you know, God, do you really care? How could this just keep happening? You know, you, uh, you've you walked that. You've, I'm sure, wrestled with some of that. Very much. How do we get beyond wanting the blessings, wanting the works, wanting the promises, and, and tap in to that presence of the Lord? I've watched you do it, Susie, 
in in a powerful way. And it it's gone beyond mere feeling. Like those silent moments, there's something within you that knows that he knows that he, that knows that you know that you know that you know that he's with you and he hasn't forsaken you. How can we begin to tap into that assurance? Boy, that's such a good question. And I'm thinking of your friend. I've been there. I've been there for long stretches. And there's a couple of things that come to mind. I don't remember if I wrote about it in this book. I think I did, but I I definitely wrote about it in Strong in Battle. But I I remember a time where I was worshiping. I'm a serious follower of Christ. I'm I'm in it. You know, I'm in the Word. I'm worshiping. I'm, you know, serving Him and loving Him. But I was pretty heartbroken. I had a pretty major health relapse about eight years ago. And to be honest, it was hellish. It was brutal and hard for for five years, probably. I've been working my way out the last couple of years, feeling like I can breathe again. But uh, I remember... The Lord bringing me to John the Baptist's story when, you know, Jesus said, no greater man born to woman. Mm-hmm. You know, he that's Jesus' cousin, and he baptized Jesus. I mean, think about the anointing on John's life and the calling, the miraculous birth of John for the sake of being the forerunner to Jesus. I mean, wow. I mean, there's so many confirmations that this was God's plan. This was God's time. But when John was away from the action, he started to doubt. And mm-hmm. that, that should encourage you because— no greater man born a woman. But when he was away from the miracles and away from the action and thrust into obscurity while everybody else is seeming to live their best life, he starts to wonder. So he sends his friends, are you the Christ? He wants to know, or should we be looking for someone else? You got to sink into a pretty low place to get to there after you've seen what you've seen. But you can't, again, fault John because that's where he was. And Jesus' response, I felt like was filled with compassion and conviction because he said, go tell John, the lame, leap. The blind receive their sight. The deaf hear. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. In other words, even when you're in a season of obscurity, I'm still the same God. The miracles are still the same. The action is still happening. You might be away from it for a bit. So your job in those seasons is to guard your heart and not blame God for the things the devil is guilty of. Blessed Mm. are you who are not offended by him. And I, I realized at that moment I was hurt. I was hurt by God. I was profoundly hurt that he allowed what he did to happen. And I had to sort that through. But I had to really discern the difference between lament and self-pity. Because self-pity is a parasite. Self-pity says, I deserve more than God has given me. Lament is saying, I hate this. This is hard. I'm crying out to you, God, because where else would I go? And I think it's extremely important to clear the playing field of every demonic enemy influence, every fleshly influence, because that's the stuff that muddies the waters, that soils, you know what I mean, that puts your gut in a knot and you can't hear. And it puts you in a place of ingratitude. And I always think ingratitude is probably the top cause for spiritual blindness is if you think God should give you more than you have, you you are not going to hear and see him. But when you get into that place of, of clearing that out, if you need to repent, do it, but then lament and cry out to God. I think that's extremely important. And the other thing I want to say is, as I've been looking at the Israelites and just wanting to learn, because we all are prone to wander. We're all prone to grumble and complain when we go too long without relief. And I don't think it's... um inhuman to want relief from our suffering. I just think that's right. nobody wants to suffer. Uh, so, But we want relief and God wants redemption. We mm. want a break and he wants breakthrough. We're so often in the small story, in the short story, and he wants us to think the long game. And so in Psalm 106, verse 7, in the Amplified Version, there were three things. You got to get it from the Amplified. Three things the Israelites did that I think made them lose focus and lose their way that I don't want to do. And the first one was they did not remember or appreciate the significance of God's miracles. And uh, 
his miracle, he's still a miracle working God. And then the significance means the wisdom of the timing of that he, the restraint that he shows to break through when he does for the sake of the bigger story is phenomenal. And on my radio show, I have this group called the Bible Talk Team, and I've got a few author w- women who just, we, we process scripture. We'll come to the table and bring what God's talking to us about. And my friend Carolyn had brought up Rahab, and I didn't know this about Rahab, but so she was talking about Rahab as part of Jericho, right? And this, the walls that are about to come down. Rahab identified with a God she could not see and a people that were her enemies because she remembered a miracle that happened before she was born. I never even thought of it that way. So she's like, wow. that was enough for her. And, I, and I, I'd been thinking about just the idea of how forgetful the Israelites were, and I don't want to be that way. So I say to you, if you're in between miracles, reach back into biblical history, pull forth the miracles and the significance of those miracles, and let those be present-day miracles, and tell your soul, I serve the same God. This is my miracle. Yeah. Reach back into your own recent history of, of times you've seen God move in unmistakable ways. Pull those into the forefront. Remember and appreciate the significance that you're you're still standing. You're a walking miracle. The enemy has not had the last say on your life. You might be walking through a hellish valley. You don't camp there. You walk through the valley. The Lord prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemy. If you know, if we kind of collect all of our sorrows and go, man, this has been this has happened to me. This has happened to me. This we we sit in the sorrow, we will lose strength. We need to collect all the testimonies of his faithfulness in our story. And I want you to imagine David, if he were to come to Saul when he was about ready to face off with Goliath and frame the narrative of his story this way, do you know how much trauma I've had? I mean, who in their lifetime is attacked by both a lion and a bear? <laughs> but I've had both. But no, he didn't do that. He said, I can I can do this, Goliath, dude. I've already faced the bear. I've already faced the lion, and I'm still mm. standing. And I'm not saying diminish your trauma. I have had a ton of trauma to work through. But if you don't resolve your trauma in light of God's love, you will constantly accuse God of things the devil is guilty of. This is hugely important. I want you to say that again. I want you to say that again. Okay. If you don't resolve your trauma, even your hurts and disappointments, the stuff about your story that turned out different than you hoped, if you don't resolve those things in the light of God's love, you will accuse God of things that the devil is guilty of. This is why there's always work to be done in our soul and our story. But when you get to that place where you're no longer accusing God, because you're clear on who your enemy is and who your defender and savior is, you can more readily appreciate and remember the significance of his miracles. That's the first thing the Israelites did. They didn't do. The second thing is they they didn't marvel at the superabundance of God's mercies. Think about that. We should be in so such awe of the abundance of his mercies. He doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. His love covers a multitude of sins. The fact that he sends mercies to our door in the morning before we've had a chance to blow it shows you how committed he is to getting us home. We should be perpetually in awe that his mercy is an ocean and we can never exhaust it all. His compassions never fail. His mercies are new every morning. That should make us worship because this God of ours has bestowed so much on us that it's like, you know what? If you temporarily forget who you are or act in a way that's beneath you, it's not to say that your sin doesn't matter, but Jesus paid for it and his mercy covers it and you are a redeemed soul. You have right standing before God. That should keep us in awe. They didn't They didn't appreciate it. They didn't appreciate the abundance of mercies that God showed them. All they were identified with was their hardship. And then the third thing that they didn't do was imprint 
God's loving kindness on their hearts. And this is really important because just because he says he loves us doesn't mean it's imprinted on your heart. And when I was in this rough season with this health stuff and the emotional toll, if you've gone through a long-term trial, whether it's health, relational, financial, I go to counseling. You know, I had to talk to a counselor a few sessions because the trauma of it was Mm so painful. And I had a friend, a prayer warrior friend who said, Susie, when you think of God, if your default response when you think of God is anything other than this, only goodness or mercy is allowed to follow me all the days of my life. If you think anything else when you think about God, something in you needs to be healed and something Mm -hmm. in you is out of alignment in your thinking. And I realized I didn't have his loving kindness imprinted on my heart. I loved him. I worshiped him. I can't wait to see him face to face. But what was imprinted on my heart was the trauma, the disappointment, the contrast of people who have their health when I didn't. But once I started to practice that, when I started to look around, because the thing is, someone once said, if you tomorrow woke up with only the things you thanked God for today, what would you have? And I think, you know, instead of amassing all your sorrows and going, this is why my life is so hard, you amass your blessings and you don't just Mm -hmm. count your blessings. You tether and attach each one to a God who loves you because the Bible says every good gift comes from him. So you see every good gift in your life with a gift tag to Joanna from God, to Joanna from God. Oh, I knew you would love this. To Joanna from God. Mm -hmm. You would see how richly blessed you are and you'd start to ponder his love and it would imprint on your heart. And Dr. Rob Reamer, uh, I've had my show once in a while. He's really great on soul care and soul healing. And he says, you know, people say the truth sets you free. He goes, the truth in and of itself doesn't set you free. If you look at the context of what Jesus said, it's like, if you hold fast to my truth and you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Mm. He says, the way that you do that is at the very moment, the lie is vying for position in your soul and in your heart. You come against it with the love of God. He's saying you're you're rejectable. You're outside the circle of blessing. You're a have not because you're in the not yet. All those lies, you come back with the truth. God is good. His promises are true. He will always make a way for me. I'm loved. God is good. He will always make a way. You've got to come up with a narrative that's Mm. short, that's biblical, that the predictable lies come in and try to vie for that position. You come back to say, no, God is always good. I am always loved and he will always make a way for me. And that's imprinting. All right. So when you think about the Israelites, what was imprinted was their trauma. They forgot about and didn't appreciate his mercies and they forgot about his miracles. That's a sure combination for losing your way. But I'm telling you, when you do the opposite, you position yourself on the path of his promises. You stay so perpetually in awe of God that you will see goodness when it comes because you're alert to it. You're watching for it. You're, you're in tune to it, right? Ah. Oh. So, so good. There are so many things that I want to talk to you about, Susie, but we, our time's coming to an end. But I, I, I really have to just, just dive into something you share in one of the opening chapters. And you talk about some of the inner healing. And I know, as we've talked in other episodes, and by the way, we're going to have links to those episodes in the show notes, but I know you've been walking a lot of inner healing and and dealing with a lot of the different traumas. But you used a phrase, and you didn't go into detail in that chapter, but it, it just I, I just would love to have you unpack it. You talked about just getting honest about your pain, like actually writing it down. You called it a mercy trial. 
And I just feel like sometimes as Christians, we think, well, yes, terrible things happen to me, but I, I just need to say I'm more than a conqueror. And it's almost like we go into denial and, and we think that those things don't matter. And like you said, we diminish those really traumatic things, somehow thinking that, well, God's saying I got to get over it rather than him saying, no, would you give me access? I want to heal it. So could you kind of talk about that? Because I'd love I'd to hear about mercy trial. Right. And you, you can't heal from something you refuse to acknowledge, and you can't heal from something that you are diminishing because someone else's trial is worse. And the thing is, you might think there's something wrong with you because this thing triggered you, and they've they've lost a child, or they're dealing with this, so you stuff it to the basement. But this thing could be so connected to a childhood trauma that you have buried. And that's why don't diminish your story. Don't diminish your pain. Uh, the enemy wants you to either diminish it or live in it, but God wants to deliver you from it. And so in the, in this season of, of being so battered by the storm of my health challenges, God mobilized some women to come march alongside me. God mobilized them. They came up to me and, and they, I don't know if I would have walked with them, except I had a mutual, really good friend that I trusted deeply. And then they said, the Lord has assigned us to walk with you and pray with you every week until you're fully healed and symptom free. And we're still praying every Wednesday morning mm. together, which is amazing. But one of our first gathering together, uh, one of the gals who I hadn't known well yet now is a good friend, but she's a lawyer. And she handed me a little tablet that said attorney client privilege. And uh, I think my opening chapter, I write about this, where she's like, "Did they? Did do you know the names of the boys who beat you up?" And I said, "I don't. They were strangers in our neighborhood." She goes, "Well, okay." So she said, "Write down four boys." I did, and she said, "Did they punch you?" And I said, "Yeah." Where did they punch you? Write it down. Did they kick you? Yes. Write it down. Did they pull your hair? Yes. Write it down. So she had me, and I'm like, "Get you know." And I'd gone through counseling. I'd forgiven these boys, but what she was getting at, she was performing what they call a mercy trial. This is something Melissa Coleman, my friend. If you go to my to where podcasts are played, Susie Larson Live, comma Melissa Coleman. Don't miss it because we had such a huge response. As a lawyer, she started to study the heavenly courts and the judicial nature of God. And she she came upon this by accident, so to speak, because she was ministering to a woman who had so much bondage in her life because of severe sexual abuse and trauma. And the Lord gave her this kind of picture of, of the courts and showed her how to walk this woman through. And she realized forgiveness is one level, releasing mercy is another. And so she said, you have to name the crime. Like in, in court, you can't just say they hurt my feelings. There's got to be, you've got to name the offense. And, and when you're in the court, you're appealing to, to the judge. You're not talking to your enemy. You're talking to the righteous judge. And so in so many words, what this looks like is you bring this person before the heavenly court and you say, Joey, you beat me. You are guilty. And this is what you did. These are the charges against you. You are guilty and deserving of punishment, but because of the mercy that I've received, I release mercy to you. I declare you forgiven, acquitted, mm -hmm. and free. Now, the devil has taken out of this triangulation uh, relationship. He is out of this equation. You are free, and I am free, and we are both going to walk free. Now, this is not—I'm I'm not saying it as eloquently as she has written it, but it is so powerful because suddenly you realize as long as there's power in that offense, the enemy is triangulating in that story. But when you come to that place where you name it because you said these crimes and you're, you're not saying you're not bringing that person to a literal trial you're literally are going before the lord saying these are the things that happen they're guilty they're deserving of punishment but lord jesus because of the mercy i've received 
I release mm-hmm. mercy to them and I declare them forgiven, acquitted, and free. And now the enemy has no claim on me and no claim on them. You want that. You might think, if they've hurt me so bad, I don't want them declared free. Well, suddenly you take the enemy out of the equation and God is able to go after them because you're not harboring and you're not mm-hmm. in prison anymore by your own attitudes. You want them to encounter Jesus. What happens if they come to their knees and they experience the love of God and they're radically saved and they change the world <laughs> and they, they stop hurting people? I mean, you want them to encounter God, but there's something super powerful about being really serious about walking through those steps to not only forgive, but to release mercy so that you can Mm -hmm. almost visually see the enemy taken out of the equation, taking yourself out of the equation and begin a deeper healing. I I just think it's powerful. I I think I include some of the mercy prayer language in the book. We did in the first draft. I'm pretty sure it it made it in the book. But anyway, I, I suggest go to where podcasts are played, Susie Larson Live, comma, Melissa Coleman, and she's a lawyer. You will hear her explain it, the judicial nature of God in a way that I've never heard before. And I, I can't even tell you. I, my body was literally stuck in fight flight, even though I had fasted, I had prayed, I had counseled, I work out, I eat healthy. They could never explain why my pulse stayed high, but my blood pressure was low. But it was because my body was stuck in fight flight. After that day, my, my fight flight, I mean, my pulse just returned to normal. It, wow. Yeah. We'll figure, but because, you know, your body holds on to so much of the trauma that you walk mm-hmm. through and we are a whole being. And that's why I, I'm so committed to inner healing and wholeness and, and redemption because Jesus cares about the healing yes. of the whole body. You know, he cared about the human condition. If you watch him in the gospels, he cares about the human condition. Amen. Amen. Can you point us to where they can listen to all the episodes? I mean, there's literally hundreds of interviews Thousands with incredible, probably, yeah. yes, incredible guests that, that really speak to so many of these facets of healing that, that I think sometimes, you know, we, we as Christians, we sort of like, let's just put a band aid and say, I'm okay, you know, yeah. and, and then we get discouraged because because we do have a Father who really does want to heal us to the uttermost. And that mm-hmm. is often those layers, and it is that process. So would you tell us where we can find your episodes as well as just all of the good stuff that you have, Susie? Sure. So my show is on a radio network, on the Faith Radio Network. So it's live, 3 Central Standard Time, every day, Monday through Friday, and then it plays on the weekends too. And so if you ever want it, we give books away pretty much every day. So if you ever, there's a free app, Faith Radio Network. If you ever want to live stream, you can live stream online, myfaithradio.com, or get the app. And that way you can be part of the drawing to get free books. But then the live show, after the radio show is over, it goes to podcasts and it's heard in 170 countries right now. So I was so blessed and grateful. Um, So wherever podcasts are played, you just type in Susie Larson Live. And uh, we do have a lot of guests on that, those topics, Joanna, because I feel like a part of my calling is to help people heal from the inside out. Mm. I just... I just think that really is going to be the way we're going to reach a lost world. Like Dr. Rob Reamer says, people may not know they're sinners, but they know they're broken. And if you can minister Jesus to the broken parts, they'll come to understand that they also need a savior for the sinner parts, right? And uh, I just think that that there's a wave of healing coming for the many who've Amen. suffered so long. So if you're listening today and you're a believer and you love God and you've suffered long, don't give up hope, but sort through the stuff that's coming up in your heart so that you're back to a place where you really do trust the love of God and you're counting on the presence of God because it's for your good and for his glory. And you're going to be amazed at what he does when he's all done. Amen. And oh, oh, you guys, how he wants to love you. 
how he wants to prove himself faithful, how he wants to be closer than your next breath. Would you pray for us as we close, Susie? Mm. Honored. Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, Lord. Deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forevermore. God in heaven, I pray, open our eyes where we're blind. Unstop our ears where we're deaf. Awaken our hearts where we're beating out of rhythm with you, God. Heal our soul, make us whole. Just feel led to pray for somebody with arthritis right now and that you would be miraculously, completely healed. That that diagnosis would be canceled in the name of Jesus. You would leap and run and bound about for joy in Jesus' name. And that these autoimmune issues that people are dealing with would be canceled in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. And that that there would be no more immune confusion in the body, but that every system would work to support life and health. And for those who've been in a long period of what's felt like grief and sorrow, Mm -hmm. but maybe what it is, in fact, is a a disappointment in God, I pray that, Lord, you'd meet them in those places and spaces and show them your goodness and grace and lead them to a place where the sun shines again, where they can sense the warmth of your presence and see that you've been with them all the time. And even now you're working out their story for their good and your glory. God, we love you. We honor you. We ask you, God, pour out your spirit in this day. We yes, need you, Lord. Yes. Our world is messed up. We yes, need you, God. God. You promised, Lord, to cut off the strength of the wicked, increase the power of the godly. May there be a clear distinction between those who mm. love God and those who don't. May there be power and anointing. I'm just going to boldly ask, may we lay hands on the sick and see them yes, recover. God. May we yes, speak God. the captives are set free. Yes, may the God. word of God come alive on the page. And yes, Father, when I'm thinking of those who are lost, there are those who are deceived and those are the deceivers. We pray those who are deceived would come to know your love and yes, they would bend Lord. their knee. Those who are deceiving because they've got their, they know what they're doing, may they fall into their own traps. But God, I pray that the world would know sooner than later that you are who yes. you say you are and you're going to do what you say you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I don't know what you're going through today. But please allow Susie's message of hope to sink deep into your soul. God is with you, my friend, and He loves you. He wants to breathe hope into those places that feel lifeless. He wants to give you peace in your mind as He infuses you with the strength only He can give. You'll find links to Susie's new book and radio show in the show notes found when you scroll down on your favorite podcast player. I've also included links to previous conversations with Susie in the living room. I hope you'll share these episodes with friends who might need encouragement today. And if you're looking for a new Bible study, well, could I recommend my own? (laughs) I've got a 10-week video study designed for use with my book, Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. It doesn't just repeat the material you read in the book, but it actually springboards off of your reading that week in your Bible study, giving you new things to help you cultivate a deeper trust in Him. And be sure to use the code word TRUST to get 20% off the study at my website, embracingtrust.com. Well, I'm praying that you sense the Lord's nearness today, you guys. Oh, how He loves you. How He wants to make Himself real to you. For when He asks you to live and love and lead like Him, well, 
He wants to help you do that. So let him draw you close. Let him be closer than your very next breath. God bless.